Hello, Portland Trailblazer fans, and welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Dave Deckard, managing editor of Blazer's Edge, here as always with Dan Morang, and uh, we hope that you are rejoining us again and again throughout the summer like C.J. McCollum, not dropping out like Festus Azili, and uh, we are going to have a wonderful time today. Dan, how does it feel? Are you adjusting to the offseason yet? I mean, I was already adjusted to the offseason, I think around December, January, but now that it's actually here, it's, it's kind of fun to actually take a look at how things can improve and how things can, can get better uh, from what they were. Yeah, I mean, the, the team finished well, and we saw flashes from Nurkish that were fantastic, but th there are still plenty of questions about this team and this roster, and now is the time when you can real, realistically start looking towards that. I mean, the only thing we really have to, to wait for now is the lottery to, to find out, you know, what happens at the top of the draft to kind of see the dominoes fall into place. Yeah, well, speaking about improvement, there was quite a hubbub this week. Uh, our own C.J. McCollum, the Trailblazer star shooting guard, got stranded in an airport. Their flight was delayed, opened up a Q&A on Twitter. Someone asked him an obvious question, who would you like the Trailblazers to trade for? And he name-dropped Paul George of the Indiana Pacers, which just created a stir. We'll talk about the fact that CJ is saying it in a little bit, but let's just take it on its merits right now. Paul George, Indiana Pacers, is CJ McCollum a, a great talent scout? Yeah, I mean, YG Trace, that, that, that's the guy that, you know, I've been pining for on this Blazers team for years now. Um, if the Blazers were serious, I mean, if, if you were to make a move for, for Paul George and somehow keep him with McCollum and Lillard and Nurkic, you're throwing everything you have in the bag at the Pacers to make it happen. And th there's never been more of a all-in signal than I think that is. And that's that's a drastic change from where they are. Cause, I mean, we're two years removed from basically a full rebuild. So if, if all of a sudden you've got you've picked up Nurkic and you add Paul George without giving up Dame or CJ, yikes. Yeah, okay, everything they have in the bag. Well, first of all, let, let's, let's just talk about the merits of Paul George. Is there any doubt that you'd want him on this team? No, he's the perfect compliment. I know a lot of people want to talk about Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is not a guy you, you put with Dame and CJ. He's not a guy you really no. put with Dame or CJ. It's just Jimmy Butler is another guy that has to have the ball in his hands a ton. He, he's not a guy who's going to spot up and knock down shots for you. He's he's a dribble-drive offense kind of guy. Uh, and, and Portland's already got the, the additional ball handler, you know, third ball handler kind of guy in, in, in Evan Turner. So there's just not enough of a ball to go around if you were to bring in a guy like Jimmy Butler. Paul Butler, Paul Butler, Paul George gives you everything you need. He can hit the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He's an elite perimeter defender. He can cover threes. He can cover stretch fours. I mean, basically all the weaknesses you're really looking at, perimeter defense, the ability to switch, uh, two-way players, he covers everything. And it, that's exactly the kind of guy you want on your team. I mean, he's a legit superstar in the league. Yeah, I mean, would this be provided, like, let's not talk about realism right now, provided that move happened, would this redeem everything about the Trailblazers, everything about Neil O'Shea, everything about everything? Would it all of a sudden be, here's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, we're here now? If Paul George signed a contract, yes. I, I would I would disavow any any negative speaking or, or anything along the lines. If they manage to assemble that roster, you're not just looking at top three in the West, you're looking at 
probably top three in the league. I mean, in the pecking order, it's probably Warriors, Cavs, Blazers. I mean, if you were at, if you were adding Paul George to that lineup and keeping C.J. McCollum, you are a legitimate title contender at that point because when you're looking at roster issues or roster flexibility and you're only left with, you know, you know the, the vet mins and a tax player MLE, that's when you get the ring chasers to fill in the spaces. And that, that kind of team, you're going to draw that those kind of guys out of the woodwork real quick. Yeah, I mean, look, top three – Okay. I would say they've got a, a shot at top three, at least top five. Immediately they vault into contention. You're a title contender. Like you, when, right. when, when the season starts and you're looking at it, who's going to be where, if you're not a top two, maybe top three seed, let's say the Spurs just because they've been there, done that, or the Rockets because they've been there, done that, outplay them ever so slightly. But your, your aspirations are at least Western Conference Finals. Right. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, if you didn't watch Indiana much, obviously we assume you've heard of Paul George probably, but I mean, 24 points per game, he might not get that with the Trailblazers. We'd absolve him of that with all the other scores, but 46% from the field in general, just a skosh below 40% from the three point arc. He takes shots basically everywhere. I mean, he does a little, he's a little farther out on the floor than he used to be earlier in his career, but he still takes plenty of shots from within 16 feet and his percentages are high across the board. There is no range at which he is not comparatively accurate compared to the rest of the league. And as you said, the defense is the icing on the cake. Now, you know, this year, eh, Indiana went up and down with that, but literally for a few years now, he has been considered like top five. I mean, he is he is big. He's one big of the best two way players in the league. I mean, when, yeah. you're, when you're talking about two way guys, it's Kawhi, it's LeBron, and then it's probably PG. And you, Giannis yeah. is probably in that conversation now. But when I mean, when you're talking about these guys, you're you're talking about players that inherently these are title contending players. That's what these kind of guys are. You can talk about a big man. You can talk about a point. But if you look around the league, you've got to have a, a legitimate wing player that's elite on both sides of the ball. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But that's the kind of guy that you bring in that, I mean, it changes every kind of dynamic for a team. Sure. Now, the problems, uh, besides the obvious salary one, one is he stated, or it's, at least it's been rumored, that he either wants to win right now or go to the Lakers. The Lakers are his fallback plan. Um, the Blazers are really neither one of those at 41 and 41. Now, you might say, okay, uh, Portland, with that lineup, you can envision, you can draw a Paul George-sized spot on this roster and convince him that you can win, although the Blazers haven't convinced anybody of anything lately. But maybe you could see that. Um, he does have a player option after this next year, so he could technically decline that or, or not pick up that option, and then he would be an unrestricted free agent. The Blazers would have a bird rights to him, but at that point, he's making so much money that he can write his own ticket. He's either going to make... It's a LaMarcus Aldridge situation. He's either going to make a super ton of money or most of a ton of money. Yeah. Either way, he's he's going to be set for life. So, I mean, chances of convincing him that this is the right spot to go? Eh, I don't know. How do you judge those? 
I'm convinced that if there was ever a time for this team to to be at the, at the right place at the right time, this is probably it. And I know how weird that sounds with the, with how much I've said about this team, it's, you know, especially on a negative aspect leading up into you know the All Star break. But you have CJ, you have Dame, you have Nurkic, and these guys watch other teams around the league. They know what's going on. And I'm fairly certain that he's well aware of how good they were post-Nurkic. Now, if you've got an inside presence and a guy on either side of you to the talent of Damian and CJ, that's that's almost big four territory. And there aren't many teams in the league that where he could do that, where he could come to a team and have that kind of effect and have that kind of an impact and have that kind of roster around him. I mean, if, if you're looking around the league, who has a small forward-sized hole? That's a that's a competitor right now. Right. I mean, Portland, OKC, Utah. If they lose Hayward, but I don't see Paul George going to there. Um, you could argue maybe the the Clippers, which gives him both LA and um, playing for a competitor. If they resign Chris Paul, it'd be Chris Paul, Paul George, and DeAndre Jordan. Um, but I mean, outside of that. There, there really aren't a lot of places where he could immediately be a contributor, be an impact guy, and the fit would be good right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, you can see that. But let's let's put this in perspective. What we're talking about right now, I mean, and what CJ's talking about, and by the, you know, this, this is a good plan, by the way. But this is kind of the equivalent for the Blazers, for this incarnation of the Blazers, of you're down by... 10 or let's say you're down by nine in the in the fourth quarter of an NFL game you need the, the Hail Mary touchdown and you need the onside kick, kick and, and the field goal a field goal at least <laughs> and by the way you may be down by 15 at the, I mean if you're talking about getting Paul George for reason we'll talk about in a second it may be a, a 15, you need a touchdown, a two-point conversion, an onside kick, and another touchdown in the next 90 seconds to make this work. But, boy, if it did work, that would be spectacular. Now, uh, salary-wise, we talk about about salary. Really, this is not a burden for the Blazers if they can trade somebody away because, shockingly enough, Paul George next year makes $19.5 million dollars. His contract's a the old. Of money. It's the old yeah, CBA it's a heck max. Of a lot of money. But Alan Crabb makes 19.3 million dollars. So you are literally paying Paul George money to Alan Crabb. So the Blazers as long as they can trade somebody away could make that move without blinking. But here's the rub. You just said you wanted to keep Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Nurkic. So, who are you trading? To the Indiana Pacers, what possible incentive do they have in order to make this deal? The only thing that makes sense is, number one, crap. And if you're talking about doing it this year, I wouldn't even blink at all three first-round picks. That would, wouldn't well, e- yes. I mean, I mean you're, you're, talking, you're talking crap, the three first-round picks, and a, a, a pick of either uh, Harkless, Leonard, Davis, Aminu, any of those guys. So, I mean, Davis, his contract is expiring. Harkless runs for another th- uh, three years now. Uh, Leonard runs for another three years. Crab runs for another three years with an $18.5 million player option in the third. Um, <laughs> if I'm Indiana, 
Uh, there's no, there's got to be, I mean, I guess you never say never because DeMarcus Cousins, but short of that, that may be the most lopsided trade that's gone down in forever. I mean, if the you thing they're worried Indiana, about here is, yeah. is getting, you know, Kevin Durant, in, 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 so to speak, losing him for cares? absolutely nothing. And that's the thing. Well, no, no. I, I, I get where you're coming from. And, and Kevin Pritchard has been a guy who's, who's done well with managing salaries and knowing when to let guys walk and when to, and when to sign them. I mean, uh, there's, there's a reason why he got a job in the league again. So, yeah, could he let him go for nothing and have all that salary cap space? Sure. Um, well, let, let's look at it this way. I mean, let's break this down now. Now, we've got player options messing with some of this, but right now in 2018-19, if George walks, they're on the hook for a minimum of $4 million in salary. But if you think Thaddeus Young and Monte Ellis you know, pick up their options, which at this point I would guess they probably would. I mean, they're not doing that great. So that's about $30 million, give or take. All right. Miles Turner is going to be in there and what have you. But still, basically, you've got 72 acres of cap space to play with. You can take an Alan Crabb in there, sure, but would you rather have Alan Crabb or would you rather have $18.5 million to lure somebody who's better than Alan Crabb? I know what I'm taking based on Alan Crabb's production. Could you possibly convince them that it, Crabb is worth that much? I think you could if you were willing to take back somebody like Monte Ellis and free them up immediately of that contract. And if you're yeah, sending yeah, if, you, okay. if you're sending somebody out like Maurice Harkis and Alan Crabb, you're banking on them being invested in the youth and that they will improve. But you didn't save them any money. And Mo Harkless and Alan Crabb are, are they're, 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 they come nowhere near Paul George. That's exactly why this is a, a sweetheart deal for the Blazers. This is why this is revolutionary. It's precisely because Paul George is that much better. And Mo Harkless and Alan Crabb combined into one player through some DNA splicing voodoo. Uh, and they would still never come close to what Paul George is doing. And three lower round draft picks as well. And any future draft picks, you've just traded away, you know, to Portland, their big four. And we just said they're a contender. So future draft picks are like the 25th pick and below. I don't. I don't see any way Kevin Pritchard gets drunk enough Quit to crushing make that my trip. dreams. All right, I'm. Tr I'm trying to enjoy <laughs> this one. I mean, it's, it's 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 absolutely no secret that I've wanted Paul George. I mean, the, oh yeah, the fact. I mean, it's not just me, but it, it, it's it's he's the absolutely perfect fit for this team, which is why you'd have to pay out the nose for him, and why arguably you would probably have to give up C.J. McCollum, which kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, I mean, they're still good there, but then can you convince George to stay? I mean, you've got a big three, sure. And by the way, I think you've got better defense. Your scoring equals out. Um, you've got better floor balance. So I think as much as I like CJ and how he's improved, I think you end up ahead in that. It's a probably a, it's a net improvement. You're getting a little bit longer. A, you're getting a little bit bigger. Right. You're getting better on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, then stop. Try to stop him from walking. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't Which is why you can't give up McCollum in that deal. But I mean, uh, however unlikely it is, I see even the smallest glimmer of hope, just because Paul George has the leverage and there's this, you know, this 
secret out there that George wants out. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, there's a difference. You can want out all you want if they'd rather let you go than take what the Blazers are offering you. It doesn't work. Uh, speaking of CJ, though, now, you know, let's say how I just want to mention how ironic would it be if the lever to get a Paul George deal done was CJ McCollum? I mean, wouldn't that be I mean, that probably won't happen. But wouldn't that be like a fantastic story? I, I mean, story wise, that tweet that, that would be on the front page of every sports blog, radio website on the face of the planet. I mean, like, yeah, we want him to go after this guy. Oh, crap. They they went after that guy, and it was at my expense. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, what do you do with yeah. that otherwise? At this point, they won't do that, but uh, that would just be funny. Now, speaking of, uh, speaking of CJ and stuff, we wrote an article today uh, about the five biggest surprises of the Trailblazers season. Wanted to ask your opinion. Uh, first of all, what was your single biggest surprise of the year for the Trailblazers? If you could, Trailblazers, if you could just name one, what would it be? The one that kind of surprised me, and this is kind of in the background, I guess, was the regression and ultimately the disappearance of Ed Davis. Ed Davis mm-hmm. was a guy that I pined for last season hard as part of, like, as far as the ranking of guys that were untradeable on the Blazers, it was Dame, CJ, and Ed Davis. That's how valuable I felt he was to the squad last year. He was their everyman. Like, whenever they needed an offensive rebound, he was there. Whenever they needed a, a big defensive stop, he was there. And to go from being such an integral and important piece to this team to being relegated to the bench and then being injured, I mean, that was kind of a tough pill to swallow. I mean, coming into the season, nobody really suspected that, you know, bench depth at the the front court position was going to be an issue. You know, we... Portland gets into the playoffs, and all of a sudden, uh, hey guys, who's playing center? Like, I mean that that that's that's a heck of a change from October. Yeah, I mean, so you're being a smarty pants. You're naming the one I or one of the ones I didn't name. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Davis. Yeah, Davis, absolutely. That kind of shocked me too. And you know, injury related made it a little more easy to understand. But Davis was so consistent. He's, by the way, he's next year's Mason Plumley. He'd be the one guy on the team with an expiring contract who's not in next year's on Mason Plumley. Contract. So, well, I mean, this is what Mace was, right? This is what he was. He was the only guy who did not get paid last summer. And so he was kind of dangling out there. Now Davis will take that role. Uh, but in any case, unless he's moved before then, of course. And what was your, okay, but Davis probably wasn't your biggest surprise overall, right? Like, what was the number one surprise, period? CJ finding another gear. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to for me. Like, I expected CJ to be better. Not, oh my God, he may be the best and most efficient shooter in the entire NBA better. Like, we've talked about this plenty here. He just missed a 50-40-90 season shooting over 1,200 at times from the floor. That's that Nine players have done this since 83-84. Like, I mean, the, the numbers that he put up as far as efficiency go, I mean, staggering. When you're named in a season-long uh, stat line with Bird, and it's referencing his 86-87 season, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, Captain Esoterica. I can't... That was my number five. (laughs) But that's all right. That's good. That's why we do this. But also, I I would point that I cannot hear 50-40-90 without thinking Myers Leonard. (laughs) 
because hey, it, it, was, it was a season or two ago. Yeah, it was 48-40-90 for, for, for McCollum, so he just missed it. Yeah, see, well, Myers is better, obviously, as, as all Blazer fans would agree. Um, Buck score <laughs> numbers go in. Yes. Well, does, does this not sound like a stat that would be floated by, I don't know, Trailblazers PR or some kind of in the TV <laughs> timeout or whatever? Somebody's the agent. Way, here's this little thing. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, did you know that Myers Leonard exceeded everybody's production for the. Yeah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Um, speaking of getting better, though, uh, preliminary draft talk. I mean, assuming the Blazers do not trade all three picks for Paul George uh, and Which don't have dream. to dump all three tricks trying to lose Sal. Um, they're going to have a considerable number of lower round picks. Now, obviously, the Blazers need, well, we just said it, Paul George. But <laughs> assuming that they cannot get a star in the lower round, at least an, an instant star, what kind of player are they going to be looking for? What skill set, what position, what do you see them needing most? Because of where they're picking, it, it, the, there's certainly a drop-off after the top ten, as with any draft, but I think it's a little bit more significant. You're looking at more project players who may have high ceilings, but you're, you're, you have questions, and that's to be expected in this range. But, I mean, you're looking at guys uh, – because Portland has these three picks, I hope they take a flyer on one of the guys that has injury issues. And I know that scares the living daylights out of Portland fans. The one guy I, I want them to go for, and I hope they, they end up landing, is OG Ananobi. Uh, he is a physical freak specimen, prototype, however you want to call it, out of Indiana. Uh a blown knee ruined his season and derailed Indiana's hopes of being even remotely competitive. But you're talking about a guy at the wing position with a seven foot one wingspan. He has defensive instincts that are natural and phenomenal. Uh, if he, if he comes healthy, he's shown the ability to be able to hit a shot. It, it's not fantastic, but he has improved it already. Um, everything about him screams diligent worker, wanting to improve, wanting to get better. I mean, if it wasn't for the blown knee, I would expect him to be a top 10 prospect. With Because of that, he may fall to Portland at 15. The other thing you're looking at are these young bigs. So your, uh, your uh, Justin Pattons from Creighton, uh, Jarrett from, from Texas, um, Isaiah Hartenstein, the international prospect from Germany, or actually from Oregon, uh, playing in Germany. But these are all guys, again, who are young and have questions. Like I saw Hartenstein up close and personal at the Hoop Summit, and I wasn't impressed. Um, I, I did like his size. I mean, he was, he was a grown man. Uh, amongst the, the, the kids at the Hoop Summit. That was nice. He put the ball on the floor, and he moved really well for for his size. I mean, actually incredibly well. Rebounded well, but his shot, which is what he's supposed to be known for, wasn't spectacular. And that's the something, you know, if you're going to be a stretch big, you need to be able to, you know, stretch. Uh, same thing can be said about a lot of these young big guys. I know uh, Jared Allen, the kid from Texas, I know a lot of people look at him and, and see him as a, as a big-time riser of the draft boards because – he has all the physical tools as far as defensive capability. He's incredibly long and bouncy, kind of moves in, in, around like uh, young Tyson Chandler. Massive wingspan, arm length, uh, huge hands. 
but not necessarily the same demeanor on the defensive end. So there's, there's all these questions, but you're looking at the upside of all these guys. And it's not just you're looking at like the Draft Express videos and only looking at the strengths. All these guys have, have significant tape on the weaknesses issues. But you're hoping that you land one of these guys that hits really well. And if you're going to keep all three picks, I hope they take a flyer on one of these guys. Why do I smell Zach Collins coming this way? I don't like think he's going to fall. I don't think he's going to fall Leonard past. Part two. He yeah, may, not, not to 15? I, I think the, the farthest he goes is 12. Uh, yeah. He did himself a lot uh, in the NCAA tournament, and really, if it wasn't for foul trouble uh, in the title game, Gonzaga may be looking at a title. So I, I think he did really well, and for everybody I've talked to, the furthest they see him going is 12-13. Um, I don't think Portland goes that way just because of what he brings to the floor. You're, you're again, you're, you're, you're not getting anything really solid on the defensive or rebounding aspect. It's there, but it's not spectacular. Whereas a guy like Patton, uh, from Creighton or Allen from Texas, you're, you're looking at guys that maybe don't rate as well as, as Collins does, but, physically there's more there to work with. And I, th- I think that's you know, the way Portland go. There's always a debate, and I don't think it's even a debate. It's one of those things that I think people write about or do radio shows about, but it's not really there. Do you not always, always, always take the best player available, period? And people say, well, if it's a tie, if it's a tie, you go for probably fit. not a performance. You're probably not a professional <laughs> evaluator. I mean, you, you realistically, you're probably only looking at 20 guys in any given position max across your board. I'm not saying you don't have, have more than 20 guys total, but if you're picking 15, you probably don't have 80 players at that 15 spot. You know who's going to kind of be available. You know your board. I don't think there are as many ties as people think. In any way, in any case, do you not just go for best player available, period? I think if you're Portland, you do. And I think if you're a team like the Lakers or Suns, you have to think hard about that. Uh, the, Lakers, the Suns have you know, a point guard stable. Do they take Markel Fultz? Do they take Lonzo Ball? Or do they try and shoehorn Josh Jackson in there? I think that's that's a, that's a discussion that's that's up for debate. Um, the NBA is a bit strange in that you do sometimes need to address positions of need um, simply because the leverage isn't always there. Um, yeah, but you know what? You cannot trade your need. You know what I mean? Like if you take a player that ends up demonstrably worse than the one you would have taken if you would have gone for best player available, your options down the road are limited uh, first of all, by the player's talent, the guy that you took. But second of all, if you have a stable of players and you add another great player, that right there is trade potential. But if you have a stable of play- players and you don't add another great player, then your potential does not grow. 2005 is just calling back to you and Martel Webster, isn't it? You're, you're still mad oh, at Sebastian Telfair. You're still mad at Bassey. <laughs> That's the least of the worries. <laughs> now, no, since you brought him up, though, now Chris Paul, I mean, right I, there. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm going to detour here for a second, though. Lonzo Ball, the guy scares the bejeebers out of me now, and I know it's kind of because his dad. I get it. I get it. I get it. At the same time, 
does this not have semi-disaster written all over it? Is this not like the classic 30 oh, for 30? Oh, if he goes to L.A., it's going to be a train wreck. Oh, where were you when somebody yeah. thought drafting Lonzo what, Ball was what, good idea? What if I told you that Lonzo Ball's dad was that much of a problem? Yeah, no, if he goes to L.A., <laughs> it's going – I mean, it's going to be a train wreck that everybody watches. There's no doubt in my mind. It's going to be the most watched train wreck of all time. Um, I think he's going to be a good player. I don't think he's going to be great. While his dad may think he's Steph Curry and Jason Kidd combined, there are certain issues, particularly his jump shot, uh, that bother me. His effort on defense bothers me. But he's got size. He's an unbelievable passer. I mean, he, he is a very, very gifted, like, when he comes into the NBA, he's already one of the best passers in the league type passer. Um, so he's, he's got NBA skills readily available. And I think he's got a, a leadership ability to him that you don't see in a lot of guys. I, I, I think he's a better on-court floor general leader type than even a Markel Fultz, even if Fultz may have more basketball talent. I get it. I mean, I, and I do not debate any of that, by the way. I mean, in a neutral situation, I might be looking at ball and going, yeah, this is, I mean, awesome. 6'6 six, six point guard yeah. with passing ability. Yeah, no, you get sign me up. At the same time, look, there's a certain, I don't know. I'm, I, I fully admit that I may eat these words down the road. I'm fine with that. But there's a certain mentality you have to have to play in the NBA period and to play in the NBA as a point guard especially. I'm not saying Ball doesn't have it, but you cannot be overshadowed by anything if you are going to be a superstar. You cannot you cannot follow your dad on stage. That cannot happen. You can there cannot be these kind of distractions. I mean, you you have to be the kind of person who has control, who is larger than life, who steps onto that floor or steps onto the stage and all of a sudden everybody hushes and looks at you. I don't think I I've looked at Lonzo Ball off the court for more than two seconds in this entire process, not just because his dad is probably a big jerk, but just because he is second place in his own family right now. To me, if I'm a GM, I'm not saying I wouldn't draft him, but that's going to cause me to scratch my head a little bit and look twice. Yeah, as, as a USC guy, I, I whenever I hear overbearing father, I go back to Todd Marinovich. And the issues that played on that whole dynamic and how his kind of his career kind of unraveled. I mean, quarterback's kind of the same thing as, as the point guard. You're, you're the face of the franchise. You're the one making decisions, uh, play after play. And if that relationship, I mean, I, I don't don't think it's going to happen. And I don't wish this on the kid. But if things become sideways or go sour in that relationship, think about how that's already gone. And so yeah, that, that's I, I think that's certainly going to scare a lot of teams away. Uh, but yeah, the talent let's, is let's overwhelming. Use a comparison. Yeah, let's use a comparison right here, a local comparison. Okay, Kevin Love. Stan Love, you knew Stan Love existed during Kevin Love's <sighs> you know, amateur career. I mean, he was, I won't want to say he's overbearing. I don't think he was as... as no, he was, over, he was overbearing as could but be. But he was, you knew that who he was and who his kid was. At the same time, when Kevin hit the NBA, when he, when he made that step, Stan, Stan did backseat it. He, he did. was back. He was back. It was Kevin Love. And it was Kevin Love from moment one, and you saw it on the court, you saw it off the court. Again, this is totally right brain, but 
I just, I got a bad feeling about this one. Now, speaking of a bad feeling, let's uh, talk about something else that happened uh, this past week. Uh, and really, I don't know, this may play more in media circles than it in the general public, but some pretty big names were laid off from ESPN. Uh, Henry Abbott being the most prominent in my mind, but all of, most people would probably say Mark Stein as well, huge, Chad Ford, huge. Uh, we get the news that uh, Adrian Wojnarowski is probably, or is going to transition in at this point. So it makes some of that perhaps understandable, but well, first of all, what was your gut reaction to the what ended up being mass layoffs? It sucked. I mean, Henry Abbott specifically, I mean, if you're talking about a Mount Rushmore of NBA coverage, his face is undoubtedly up there. There's He's no, at least two of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind that he is absolutely, positively guaranteed to be up there. I mean, when, when you're talking about the Mount Rusher of the NBA, you know, you, you're probably talking Michael Jordan, and you, maybe you're talking Will, and there's all this debate, but, you know, Michael's up there. It's the same thing with, with Henry Abbott. He, he is the Michael Jordan of NBA coverage. He basically invented it. I mean, he's he's he's, well, he's Michael Jordan and James Naismith. Okay, so okay, he's so the goat Henry and the inventor. <laughs> on the on the Mount Rushmore of NBA coverage, there's Henry Abbott's face, and all the stuff that Henry Abbott decided not to write would be face number two, yeah. and then someone else can come in, and um, then everybody that he groomed and and, and yeah. bled for could be face number three. I mean, he is the godfather of NBA coverage. So when he, he may not have been as visible to today's current consumer of NBA media, but every media member who's worth his salt knows and respects what he's done and, and, the, and the groundwork that he laid. The Mark Stein one really surprised me, though. I mean, when you're talking about a pantheon of rating guys who are the newsbreakers and the trusted newsbreakers in NBA right now, it's Woj, then Stein. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's crazy. So look, they decided to go with number one, and they let go number two. Um, there are a couple issues here. I mean, couple couple things at play. First of all, I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt that ESPN's online staff overall may have been a bit large. I mean, and and. You know, they, as someone else pointed out to me, they, they ride cable revenue. That revenue is shrinking. I get it. The bottom line doesn't look as good. And probably riding that revenue, you hired a whole bunch of people. It's a little bit like the, you know, WCW in its heyday. All of a sudden, the they money hired dried up and away, yeah. 250 people under contract. That said, again, we'd bring up Abbott as like that. Okay, you just let go. Bill Goldberg there, or whoever was your number one guy. But I get some of that. But also, it just seems to me that ESPN has gone a different way than their roots were. Uh, and I get that they're the worldwide leader in the four-letter network and all that now. But you know what? What How they grew up was not necessarily televising the sports. They were the people that they you were wanted to hear talk about the sports. Yeah, you, they were the people that you felt like they were talking in your living room, that they were they were on your couch. They they were connecting. Now they spent you know billions of dollars to televise sports, which frankly I'm not sure how many people care whether they really watch a game on ESPN or TNT or some other network. I get ad revenue, I get that, but the prestige value in in real time 
isn't that great to me? I don't think it. I don't think it makes that much of a difference to most people. And I don't also, think so either. They've gone away from people who would connect. I mean, I, in favor of we're going to televise it and we're going to break it. Now I get that, but dudes, that's the model that's dying. That's the that's the old model. It's like you were the new model people, and now you've reached a certain level, and you decide to go classic when classic is dying out. Yeah, the, that's the, the part I don't understand. The crazy thing to me, and I think you hit on it partially. I, I I think I'm part of the generation that grew up with the the loudest, most provocative, and most entertaining portion of ESPN. I mean, from the time that I was 12, 13, 14 years old till my early 20s. I mean, you're looking at an ESPN nightly broadcast crew, Stuart Scott, Scott Van Pelt, uh, Dan Patrick, uh, Rich Eisen. I mean, you're talking about the golden era of, of SportsCenter. I mean, the biggest names out there where you knew these guys. I mean, they were in your home every day. And that's what I think defined ESPN. And then you had the, the, the NFL game day guys. You had Boom and Tom Jackson. I mean, those guys are gone now, too. I mean, they're getting rid of guys that were more than just, you know, hashtag content. Now they're just they're just moving towards eyeballs for the immediacy, so the, the newsbreakers. And they're, get, they're getting rid of the storytellers and the personalities and the narratives. I mean, canceling True Hoop indefinitely? True Hoop is, is the undercurrent of NBA social media. Not just ESPN, but NBA social media. I mean... The, the True Hoop Network in its entirety, you look at the, the guys that are listed, and somebody was put up a uh, True Hoop family tree, and it was like 80-something names long, and it was still growing. I mean, the, the amount of talent that that's cultivated and grown and put back out there and the content that they've put out, it's been more than just the immediacy. It, it, it's it's the lifeblood of, of NBA Twitter and, and the discussion groups and, and everything that goes on. So for ESPN to just sever basically all of that, I mean, who's the the long the long term guy that's going to be there now? That's going to give you the storytelling and give you the personality. I mean, I, I love Kevin Pelton, but Pelton's not the, the guy that, that's been that. He's been the insightful analytics guy. Zach Lowe is is probably one of the best long form guys out there, but it's now it's just him, right? It's his voice, yeah. and that's while well, they're they're fantastic and amazing at what they do. The diversity of opinion and, and storytelling, I think, is what made that so great. Well, and I'll say it. I I probably shouldn't say this, but I think Zach Lowe belongs in another network too. I mean, I think the the relationship between Zach Lowe and ESPN for me is coincidental. Oh, he writes for or at ESPN rather than. ESPN and Zach Lowe, are, are, their brands are synonymous. I, I see Zach as kind of countercultural there in a sense. And he's Grantland. I mean, that's, 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 but, that's yeah. what Zach is. I mean, that's, that's, he's, yeah, he's the exactly. face of Grantland. I mean, as much as Bill Simmons was his baby, that's, that's Zach Lowe. I mean, that's right, exactly. uh, so. And it, what's just ironic that we're talking about that, I mean, just, just a few years ago that Grantland was shuttered. So, I mean, yeah. we're, we're seeing this steady progression not to, to, to it's clear. It's not that long. I mean, the steady progression of just moving all of the cultural, introspective, long form, uh, anything other than, like I said, the immediacy of eyeballs in, in the social media era is just being dealt away. Yeah. And, you know, Woj, I, I respect what Woj does. Uh, and, you know, all the people who are with him. Uh, and obviously, they give us a, a brand of insight that we can't get outside of him. At the same time, it's kind of fast food. 
I mean, it is. It's it's not necessarily healthy for you. Uh, it's not necessarily any any deeper analytics or instructions or story. It's just like, ooh, here's your big back. Ooh, here's your big back. Oh, it's draft day, or rather, it's and it's day. two here's minutes before a pick, and you're gonna find out about yeah. it eventually. Now you're just finding out about it two to five minutes earlier. Yeah, I mean, and the, the free agent period, of course, is where it really shines. But again. No, you're not getting anything that if you didn't wait a Well, put a this on for size real quick to think about. If Woj is indeed going to, to ESPN, ESPN covers the NBA draft, is Woj still going to be breaking picks two minutes early? Well, there's that. Also, think about this. If, And again, I respect Woj. I'm not downing him. I'm just looking at the style of what they do. If Woj disappeared, if he quit, moved to Tahiti, said, uh, I'm done, or, you know, wherever he would move, um, would the thing crumble? Would would we, how much loss would we feel? Eh, some, we wouldn't get things quite as early, but we'd still get them. I don't know, Shams would pick up that mantle, that mantle pretty darn quick. Well, I'm talking about everybody, everybody. Like, they all, okay, they all get paid a billion dollars, and then they move to France. All right, so that's gone. Would anything fundamentally change? I mean, I, I no. don't mean in the moment, but fundamentally, no. Now, Henry Abbott, if Henry Abbott was gone or it never existed, would things fundamentally change? Absolutely. Yes. So so there's the difference to me. All right, let's, let's move on to this and let's close with this interesting topic. The Los Angeles Clippers were just eliminated from the playoffs again. After having had a lead again, by the way, uh, I think they someone said that was the fifth time in a row. That yes, never happened NBA before. record, fifth time in a row having a lead in the series to not make it out of that round. Now, people are talking about curse, snake bit, injuries, uh, roster construction, but a lot of it is falling on Chris Paul, who, which is very interesting because, by the way, Blake, is the guy here, right? I mean, he's he really should be the star. He's almost an afterthought right now. So I'm not sure if it's just that it's falling on Chris Paul, but there it is. So first of all, what do you make of CP3? Is all this his fault? If so, how much? You know, the strange thing is, is that Chris Paul upped his game. Like his usage rate went up and his true shooting percentage went up. Like all of his stats went up. Like he performed incredibly well in the series, except for Game 7, where he was just a disaster piece. I mean, it was bad. And I think if you look at everything in the grand scheme, somebody was having a discussion. I believe it started with, with James Hollis, a.k.a. Snotty Drip, and, and expanded into this huge thing that was a couple hours long that brought in a large majority of NBA media Twitter discussing the dynamic of Chris Paul in particular and on a global scale, the point guard play and how building around a point guard is weird to say the least. Chris Paul's numbers are historically great. I mean, he's up there in the pantheon of greatest point guards ever, and yet he can't make it out of the second round. And that's that's a really hard thing to to juxtapose, right? Like if you're supposed to be one of the greatest ever at your position and yet you haven't been able to carry a team beyond that level, is it fair to question that? Yeah, do not profane the name of Chris Paul around me because this guy was doing things. By the way, <laughs> before most of us, a lot of us were writing, before a lot of us were doing anything. I mean, I guess Chris Paul and I came to whatever prominence we have uh, around the same time. 
but I've watched this guy for a decade now. And nobody, especially in his like in his early twenties, oh Pete Chris Paul with the Hornets, yeah. Nobody did it like he did. I mean, I mean, sure, Magic Johnson and John Stockton and all that stuff. I get it, okay? And there are reasons to like them better and to credit them more, among them being championships and finals trips and all that stuff. But if you're just talking about, oh, my gosh, I want this point guard who's going to be productive, who's going to lead his team, who's going to do it on both ends, who's going to be consistently fantastic, and who also, by the way, will allow room for other people to play <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Um, Chris Paul, I mean, it's just, he's incredible. He's, he's mind-boggling. I do not get, I, I guess I got to get the criticism. I don't get the retroactive criticism that, that people do like, well, Chris Paul was never that great. Shut up. Chris <laughs> Paul is one of the greatest He's a top 50 player. Point guards to, <laughs> I mean, look, to lace it up ever. Let's just go ahead and say it right now. He's a top 50 player of all time. Um, the thing that, that got me, I don't know if I necessarily buy into it, but it got me thinking, was this discussion on a piece, I believe it was Jesse Blanchard or Jonathan Sharks. I can't remember who, who wrote it. There was a couple different ones that they were discussing. But it discussed the fact that Chris Paul and other point guards um, that are the franchise centerpieces are – reliant or their teammates are reliant on them to do so much that it's incumbent on them to set the table all the time and do everything in that because of their size because of their stature that they're limited even though their quickness is fantastic you're the anomaly on the court the seven foot guy isn't really the anomaly I mean, if you're looking at the, the, the average size of your NBA players is, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and Chris Paul's out there at 5'11", maybe 6' tall. I mean, the 7-foot the guys are, are closer in size than, than Chris Paul is. So really, he's the anomaly out there as far as size goes and how negatively that impacts him and how he can impact a game. And his quickness is phenomenal. His handling.